Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by Gina, Ed, one Ed, Daniel, Mike, and myself, Stephen. Welcome, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hey, gang. Um, I'm going to ask our foreign correspondent um, if he wants to talk about it. Did we push even closer to World War III this week? Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying their best to make it happen, aren't they? It's, uh, you know, if they, if they put in as much effort towards doing the things they're supposed to do, then uh, I'd be very pleased. But, um, yeah, I, I, we're gradually creeping closer. Um, I, there was a report I saw um, from uh, one source saying about um, possible Russian uh, planning for attacks on um, North Sea pipelines. So, you know, hitting Britain for, for Britain's alleged involvement in the Nord Stream pipeline. Um, but there just seems to be this complete um, lack of awareness or, or lack of concern over potential consequences of continually upping our involvement in Ukraine and, and this desire to, to keep supplying more and more arms and to engage more and more, um, regardless of any potential cost or what that does to world stability. Um, and it's, you know, at the very best interpretation is that it's incredibly foolish from our leaders. Are the Brits I don't think it's lack of awareness. I think it's lack of concern, though. Go ahead, Stephen. I'm, I'm curious, the British papers, for whatever they're worth, I mean, are the Brits saying anything that they're against this? After all, they've been killed in wars before. Who's taking this seriously in Europe, if anybody? Um, nobody. It, it, it seems to be largely ignored by probably the majority of the public. Um, there's, there's a large percentage of the British public that... Um, have been influenced by the media and are fully on the, the kind of, you know, wave the Ukraine flag bandwagon. Um, and, and those of us who are, who are sort of deeply concerned about it are probably a minority, um, you know, unfortunately. But none of the mainstream papers take a uh, pro-peaceful solution line which is a very weird, surreal thing. There's, there's no kind of left-wing voices saying, let's have peace negotiations or let's let's uh, argue for those. There's no right-wing voices doing that either in, in any part of the mainstream, really. Um, so it's a very odd situation where everyone seems to be quite happy to move more and more towards nuclear war. Ed, you wanted to say something? No, I piped in. I mean, uh, my my thought on this is, who's watching Taiwan right now? Well, are, are you not scared that we're getting close to a major war with Russia? I mean, how much more can we tickle the bear, so to speak? I mean, you know, he suspended that treaty. I don't know if that's going to matter any. But how close are we getting? And at what point, forget Taiwan, what keeps Europe from exploding? Well, I mean, I'm nervous about visiting you guys up north. I mean, I feel a lot safer in North Carolina than I do than I did when I was in New Jersey. And when I visit, you know, I worry about, you know, you you guys being in New York and New Jersey. You guys are in the target zone. If, if there, you know, if there's any attack on the American 
Wow. After yeah, what we saw in uh, East Palestine, Ohio, I, I'm not sure that, that that's necessarily the case. <laughs> well, your point well taken, but I don't think the I think there are more Russian ICBMs aimed at Manhattan than there are at uh, East Palestine, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but there's going to be a big sign up in Manhattan. This is liberal territory. Go down south and kill all the, you know, yeah. red rednecks. But I just I mean, I'm not a worry word, but. How far can we push this? Well, you know, I think they I want war. I don't think they're daring it. I think that they, they, it's not like they're, you know, courting, you know, risking danger. They want, this is something that they seem to want. But to, to know. Well, the, the official doomsday clock is 90 seconds to midnight now, isn't it? Um, I think that's what, when I last heard, you know, they've got that doomsday clock that's supposed to count down. Um, and and that's a, as close as it's ever been, I think, since the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, you know, that, that's, that, that's the uh, expert opinion on it. You know, I get that, you know, WEF and global people, et cetera, want this and military industrial complex, whatever wants it. But like Daniel said, nobody's pushing against it. And... <laughs> Are we literally like walking yeah. off a cliff and nobody cares? Well, one of the very few people to actually say, you know, let's have uh, let's have U.S. engagement in peace negotiations is Trump, isn't it? Uh, he, he's one of the very few who said that. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, there aren't any major British politicians that I believe that are, that are yeah. pushing for peace. I mean, this could end up being one of the major factors and reasons potentially for supporting Trump because I, th I think he is capable of bringing us down from the ledge. Yeah, well, he already I mean, said 24 hours he can do it, but that's typical Trump. I, thought I, I know, gonna... he's going he's to bloviate, but I, I, I'd have more faith in him than anybody else just about right now. I mean, it's I mean I, again, we, we don't know where DeSantis is on a lot of these foreign policy issues. And no, I still he just called, he's calling for uh, slowing down this Ukraine business. Did, yes, did finally he... mentioned the word. Well, that, that's good to know. I, I hope it's interesting he, to me how this is already going to it's already going to affect primaries because already, you know, Haley's taken the pro-Ukraine stance and Tucker's yeah. ripping her for that. So I think that's going to be a very big division right away in the primaries and everybody's going to have to take a side. Well, it should be. I mean, listen, I still talk to some conservative, like conservative libertarian friends who subscribe to the Hitler Nazi argument, which is we have to stop them immediately. And I used to always be on board with that argument, too. But I'm not on board with it this time. You know what I mean? I, I think a lot of these foreign policy matters are not black and white. History isn't always necessarily a guide. It, it can be, but I think you have to look at the particular facts that were presented with at a given time. I don't think that Putin would be stupid enough to start attacking NATO countries. I, How are I, we worse off? I, I mean, we wound up surrendering all of Eastern Europe anyway to the Soviet Union. How would we have been worse off if Hitler had had conquered Eastern Europe and had his own bloc that way? Not not to defend Hitler or say that he would have been a good thing, but I mean, Soviet communism is on par with how evil Nazism was. I mean, and we had a you know we had a Cold War with them. I mean, to me, I, I you know I, I still am skeptical that World War II was was the right battle for us to have fought. 
I mean, we should have defended Britain. Uh, Britain was, was, was worthy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you look at the history, FDR pushed the Japanese into attack. He he knew that the American public was against war and he he pushed for it. So, um, although, I mean, you've got to say that, that um, you know, the, the America benefited hugely from World War Two. Um, you know, it's what it's it's what effectively ended Britain as a, a contender, as a superpower. And it's what um, elevated the U.S. to to superpower status. So, you know, right. the, and the, Bre the, and the Bretton Woods conference. conference and the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944 solidified the U.S. as as the, you know, the successor to Britain as the financial leader of the world. So, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. So in terms of self-interest, Britain, there's definitely an argument that Britain, um, although I think the moral argument for fighting World War Two was extremely strong. Uh, and it yes. uh, isn't the same level of, of moral strength to the argument to engage with Ukraine. I, I don't think there is at all, um, because the situation is far more complex and the analogies with Hitler are simply false. You know, um, uh, Putin's been in power for 20 odd years and he's shown no intention of attacking places like France. Exactly. Uh, you know, so um, the, the analogy... You can go Hitler even further, Daniel. If, if you listen to Putin... He talks about, you know, defending Western civilization, defending Christianity. You know, he's not the one that's shutting down Christian parties in in Ukraine. I mean, not that I'm religious or Christian, but uh, our Christian brothers are, are worth defending. And, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about fighting a war for, for democracy and liberty, uh, you know, I don't see how Zelensky is a more uh, palatable choice than Putin. I mean, he, he's no, he, he isn't at all. You know, the, the levels of corruption and the levels of um, tyranny are analogous between uh, Ukraine and um, Russia. It's not uh, that, that one is this kind of terrible nation and the other is this uh, lovely nation. Uh, that, that's just a ridiculous presentation of, of reality. Um, you know, the, the Ukraine was uh, in the Panama Papers more mentioned than any other nation. It's one of the most corrupt nations on earth, and it's only got worse under Zelensky. It's not got better. Um, and, you know, there's all the, the corrupt ties to our own leaders, particularly the Biden family. So um, the, this, this idea, this fantasy that has been presented that, uh, you know, Russia is an aggressive bully, it's a war of invasion, Russia had no justification for any of the things it's done. Uh, it's all nonsense. It's all lies. Yep. Uh, and, you know, anybody who's informed in any way whatsoever knows that. Uh, and you can believe that without necessarily liking Putin or liking how Russia is run. Um, but you can see that if you're a Western conservative, Russia aligns more with your values than our current globalist leaders do. Um, yep. If you're uh, a Western libertarian or a Western person who believes in liberty, democracy and peace, you can see various ways in which our leaders are destroying those things far more actively, um, not only at home, but around the globe than, than Putin is. Uh, and if you're a pragmatist who looks at the result of these um, neocon hawkish policies in foreign policy, then you see that we've destroyed several nations, we the West, 
Um, whereas, uh, you know, we're, we're now acting as if we have no track record of disaster ourselves. We've got Syria, Iraq, Libya, um, Afghanistan behind us, all of which have been disastrous interventions from us. And we're, we're pointing out that this Ukrainian intervention by the Russians is the most evil thing ever. Well, you know, we went into foreign places based on security concerns. Um, Russia has done exactly the same, and Russia's security concerns are probably a lot more real than ours were. So, you know, um, I think that, you know, let me say one thing, Stephen, I'll let you go. We talked, you know, you mentioned the analogy to World War II. Did I think that the better analogy is World War I, actually. I mean, you know, obviously none of us was alive for World War I, but the way I read it in the history books, I, I get the same feeling that, you know, in the summer of 2000, uh, 2000, 1914, you know, after the Archduke was, was assassinated, you know, there was this almost embrace of war coming, you know, and this total casual approach, you know, I mean, of course, nobody wanted not wanted to say they were for death, but uh, they all were really just stumbling towards war. And, you know, a little thinking might have stopped a war, but they didn't. And instead, they wound up with this gigantic conflagration that really completely changed the world. I mean, the world in 1919 was a lot different than the world in 1914. And that's the analogy that I see more than, you know, you know, Putin being Hitler and we need to stop Hitler's armies. I mean, Putin, like you said, has shown no inclination of going. I mean, maybe he has designs on Eastern Europe. I mean, I doubt it, but at least I can buy that argument. There's no way that Putin has, believes that he could invade France or Germany or Britain. He knows that he would be annihilated. I mean, he, he would be extraordinarily idiotic to attack a NATO country. Okay. I mean, that, yeah, I mean I, you know, if he attacked Poland, I'm not so sure he wouldn't be able to get Poland. If he attacked the Baltic states, I'm not so sure he wouldn't get the Baltic states. Maybe he would. I, you know, I mean, uh, I'm not guys, saying he would. Did you guys read his speech uh, or see, uh, see his speech? Um, I, saw, I saw portions of it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is frightening um, how I find myself in this position because I, I'm a lover of the West, you know. Um, but it, 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 people like us who are actually looking at things, I think, more objectively than, than globalists are, um, we're in the odd position of if you love the West, you cannot back the West as it is today. And you cannot back what our globalist leaders are doing um, because every level you look at it, the Russians are more justified in what they're doing than, than we are in our responses. You know, Ukraine is right on their doorstep. So, of course, they're going to have more security concerns about it than, than we legitimately have. Um, Ukraine has historic ties to um, Russia. It's where a, a great deal of Russian identity was born. You know, and it was it was ruled by Russia for centuries. Um, uh, just every single level you look at it, you know, you go back to to, to recent events, and um, you know, pro-Russian leaders were toppled illegally by coups. Um, yep. You know, any of those any of those connections that you transplanted, and you said, well, what would the West do if we were facing the same situation? Um, 
What would the United States do if China and and Mexico were going to get into a military alliance? Would we just sit back and say, okay, Mexico and China, you can do whatever you want, national self-determination? No, we would send the Marines in and we would take over Mexico. That's what we would do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and if, um, you know, it's it's, it's even worse than that in a way. The relationship is more like um, if uh, China was was putting biolabs in Texas. You know, that, that's the kind of relationship because the relationship hey, between Texas and the rest of the US is analogous to the relationship between Ukraine and Russia. Well, where, where's all the fentanyl really coming from? So. Um, I'd like to, I want to bring Gina in for a second, but I'd like the four of us to stipulate that she's still in her prime before we go to her. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, I want to make sure you're still in your prime. Gina, as a mom, shut up. what do I do now? Are you worried about what's going on in Europe and are people around you worried about what's going on in Europe or everybody's pretending it's not happening? So my concern is, is what they would want to, if I was Russia or I was China and I was the aggressor, I would want to do this now. I know the United States has been sending all their surplus away. They don't have crap. Their numbers are down for their military. Their morale for their military is down. So yeah, I'd have I'd see them coming in right now. And I told the tell my son, I said, I could see Biden because he don't give a crap about any of y'all. Putting y'all, bringing back the draft, and bada bing, bada boom, our kids are off to war. That, I, that's what I see happening. And the people on the street care about Ukraine at all? I mean, as far as the war, I don't mean Ukraine about escalating a war. No, I don't think they do. They're just happy to put their flags up in their yards and be like, oh, look at me. I'm I'm a social justice warrior and I'm cheering for Ukraine now. I mean, I don't talk to anybody that is ever, hey, we need to squash this, we need to end this, we need to quit arming them. Because, you know, and stupid little things, and I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, you run through so many things, and it's like, are we arming Ukraine to come back and ally up with somebody else? I mean, I don't know what the heck's going on. All I know is I, I tell my sons all the time, be prepared for the draft to come back. Biden will do whatever the heck he needs to do, because he don't give a crap. Do any of us have a son in the military now? No, but I've got a son who's about to turn 18. I mean, the truth is I have a stepson in the military now that I think about it. Um, you know, Ed, it's interesting. I kind of agree with you about the World War One versus World War Two. I'm not sure. Wasn't that kind of the attitude in the Civil War as well? Let's just go to war and kick butt and all this stuff. But now we should know better. We know World War One so devastating and still nobody seems to worry about it. So. Um, that was the same thought before the Civil War as well. Everyone thought they'd be home by Christmas. You know, I well, think Rush used to say, was it Rush used to say that be careful when the left and the right agree? And it's like Daniel said, nobody's <laughs> against this. And that's yeah. the really scary part. There's no opposition from pretty much every any side of the aisle. Well, that that attitude might have been a bad attitude back then even, but we didn't have nuclear weapons then. Not when World War One started, not when World War Two started. True. But, you know, right. I mean, if you go back to World War One, they did have, you know, the first 
the first versions of weapons of mass destruction. I mean, the poison gas, yeah. the tanks, the, the airplanes dropping bombs. I mean, it, there was a lot of damage that no, that the world had never seen before. And I mean, the, the leaders had to know what their militaries were capable of, and they didn't do anything to pull back. I mean, everybody just sort of strolled into that war the way we're strolling into a war in Ukraine and, and Russia right now. It's just, it's, it's almost a perfect analogy to me. So I guess I so should did, be, go ahead, Gina. Did they ever do any confirmation as far as Afghan selling all of what we left over there to the Russians? Was that ever confirmed? I haven't heard that. And why would they sell it? They need the weapons themselves. Because Russia needed a Jew. That's why. But yeah, it was in the sun, I think. I actually didn't hear anything about it, but we left some pretty good stuff there, didn't we? We sure did. And now they can use it against us. That's right. Wasn't it? It was something like 81 billions worth, wasn't it? But not only money's worth, some of it was pretty sophisticated, wasn't it? So I just want to bring up, you know, the headlines, Navy scrubbing fitness tests from sailors records, but offering travel for abortions. We are definitely building up our military. <laughs> it's like unilateral surrender. And again, where's the panic? Are we in the brave new world where we're literally sleeping through this? Well, you know, to, I, I want to tie that to, you know, I, I, I hope this isn't changing gears too much, but uh, you know, we, you know, in your pre-show, in your show notes, you talked, you had a story about, uh, you know, the J6 situation and how the the police, the undercover police were, uh, you know, there was that that video of, you know, the how how would we be able to identify the un, unidentified, you know, the unmarked police officers, and they said they had wristbands, and so I mean, the the leadership knew what was going on. This was a staged event, and. You know, you're asking about where's the opposition. I'm looking directly at Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell and the and the Republican leadership, they are on board with all of this, whether it's to get at Trump or to support Biden or to support the WEF. They are totally on board with this. And they're the ones who are supposed to be screaming bloody murder and being in opposition. And they're the ones who aren't. I mean, the Democrats, we know they're traitors. The, the the Republican traders are are you know they're like traders squared they're they're worse than the Democrat traders because we expect them to be the voice defending us and they're not they don't defend anything that's that's in our values. Do you see any difference? I do. Maybe I'm naive between the House and the Senate right now on the J six issue. The Republicans, you mean? I mean, I mean, McCarthy says that he's giving. Tucker Carlson, 40,000 hours of, of footage. Uh, you know, I, I, I wonder if if that's if it's if 40,000 is all of it or if that's just a selected version. I, you know, I don't know what the number is. I know uh, they I said know. that that's more than the, than the January 6th committee had. That much I do know. Okay, but I mean, has it been edited? Has it been redacted? Is it 
Is it all of it? I mean, I don't know the answer to that. If if he's mm-hmm. given, but at the same time, I mean, even if it's even if it's a a, a fake out, I mean, it's still more than the the Senate is doing is doing. The Senate didn't didn't ask for anything. The Senate doesn't seem to care. So I don't think the Senate cares. I have a question that I have to ask parenthetically. I don't recall ever hearing that the government gave documents that they're supposedly saying are now public to one source. How does that happen? Yeah. Why is that legal? How does it even make sense? What do you mean? Either it's public or it's private. If it's public, why are we giving it to one particular pundit? I, I'm, I'm so lost with that. Either you make it public or you don't. What do you mean? We gave it to Tucker Carlson and now he can make a private special and Fox can make $100 million because we'll have to pay to watch it. Either it's public or it's not. And I'm, I'm missing the answer to that. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, uh, just ever- going back to the just going back to the U- Ukraine uh, and the, and going to January 6th after that, uh, in a sense, it's the same thing on different scales, because my feeling of, of Ukraine is 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 that it was entrapment. You know, they, they pushed Russia to the point where Russia had to invade. Uh, yep. And, um, you know, that's essentially the same thing happening with the January 6ers, where the, the crimes of the administration, the fake administration, uh, the fake election, was such that they pushed people to a response and then they engineered it to, to cast that in the worst possible light and to justify punishment of those people that they already anticipated and already wanted to do. And I think that's the same thing that's happened with Russia, in a sense, you know, for both the individual who supported Trump and for the the nation that is in the way of the globalist planning, um, they used entrapment. You know, Daniel, I don't know if you listen, there's a fantastic podcast over stateside called the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. And I believe that Ed Maslisch made that tinfoil point a long time ago that it's almost like the entire Ukraine thing is a setup to bring people to war. And am I correct? You made such a statement? I did yeah, make that point. And it was pretty I out there. And now he's echoing it. What do you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a very smart point that he made. That's that's why he gets the big bucks. But I, it's the, 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 ep- the evidence suggests it now. Well, that's um, beyond scary, Daniel. Yes, it's it's <laughs> essentially criminal and psychopathic behavior from those in in positions of authority in Western nations. Right. And endangering tens of millions of people. Yes. And nobody cares. I, I got to tell you, uh, the thought of it is is really amazing. I don't know that we're that cynical about World War One, maybe World War Two, like I said before, was probably manipulated. It almost makes well, I me mean, you talk about you're talking about them endangering tens of millions of people. They're forcing us to take these shots. I knew that. I know I left myself yeah. open to that. And I agree. That's tens of millions of people also. I mean, you know, and they, they don't say they're sorry. They're doubling down. They just added it. You know, the CDC in America just added it to the recommended uh, childhood vaccine list. Uh, th- th- they have no compunction about hurting people. I mean, that seems to be their their goal. And again, we're all sleeping through it. Mike and Gina, do you have kids that are affected by that CDC thing now? 
Um, my daughter, definitely not. Public schools, I don't know if that will ever end up happening. Um, my son's a, gosh, what is he? He's a sophomore right now. So I would gauge him if they did require that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what's going on with that in New Jersey at this point, you know. Um, I assume CDC will rule New Jersey, won't it? I mean, certainly we have a governor and a legislature in place that would acquiesce and go along with the CDC stuff. But they're not jabbing my kid over my dead body. So what will you do about it? All kidding aside. I'll let you know offline. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe you can move in with one of our friends in North Carolina. But. There you go. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening in North Carolina just because we've got so many parental rights bills that are going through. But I don't see that, or that are in the House or the General Assembly right now. I don't see that happening. But I'm sure they will try. Is it time for the Liberty Block compound? <laughs> you, mean, you, mean, you mean the gulch? Yeah, the, the gulch. Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, Daniel, you could ask that differently. You could ask, "Where is it, and how do you apply?" So, where is it? I'm not. I'm not at liberty to say, but oh. you, you you can apply for membership. Okay. Yeah. Since I started the show, where I was going, Gina, do you have a big story of the week? Most important story, or you don't want to be put on the spot? Um, Biden fell on the stairs again today, going up Air Force One. That's about all I got. What's that? Biden falling? Biden fell again. Yeah, yeah saw that. that's all I got. But big story, no, that I don't have. But I thought that was kind of funny to see that again today. So I don't want the guy to get hurt. It, Why not? Uh, <laughs> because it goes against my whole world compass. I don't want anybody physically hurt. Right. And I guess I we don't should love just... him. I don't. I don't like him. But I, I love him as a child of, of our creator. I guess we should give 30 seconds to the air raid that our heroic president survived. Oh, yes. And hey, my phone is ringing in, so I'm going to cut out real quick. He came as close to death as AOC on January 6th. It was, <laughs> it was I'm sure it was very frightening. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mike, what's your biggest story of the week? Well, I suppose we have to talk about Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. Um, obviously, really, really big news there. And um, particularly after the Pfizer story broke a few weeks ago, probably one of the biggest stories in the history of the organization. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that we're going to get all the facts. You know, there's always two sides to every story, but what I do know is that James O'Keefe is the face of Project Veritas. And for them to oust him, they're clearly um, shooting themselves in the in the foot big time. I, I just checked their um, Facebook page. I think they're down at least 15,000 followers within the last few days. I've been keeping my eye on that. The the so, report I read was that they, that, that they are down 80,000 on Twitter. Well, on Twitter, on Twitter, yeah, I'm, I'm, nothing would surprise me there. I mean, he's the face of the organization. I happen to know James a, a little bit. I mean, I worked at AFP, Americans for Prosperity, at the time when he was getting Veritas up on the ground. I'm not even sure if it was called Veritas at that, at that time. You know what I mean? We had 
a citizens watchdog event and James was there. Um, he happens to, to you know be from New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> so I do know him a little bit. I don't know him well. But what I do know is that he created that organization. He built that organization. He's the face of that organization. I don't know how they go on, how they survive, how they uh, continue to get the donations uh, that they have been getting over the past few years, which is really high, over $20 million they brought in. So Would it be wacko to say that he's being brought down not only by, by Pfizer, but the entire establishment is finally getting revenge on him? I mean, you, we can only speculate. But it, it does seem fishy that just after the Pfizer story that all of this hit the fan. But I mean, he's made lots of enemies in very, very big places. So no question, but that's what they do. And I'm sure they expect it. But maybe they I mean, there's there's always the more uh, that we don't know. <laughs> there's always the Clinton treatment if he gets really uppity, isn't there? I'd like to search Merrick Garland's phone records. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I, I think it is illustrative of um, a power disparity that explains a, a lot of the success of, of the left and the radical left today. They have all the money, and um, you know, if something like Project Veritas comes along, uh, all right, it's, if that's a great success for us and it's generating twenty million. 20 million is nothing, you know, uh, it, it's, it's not a big amount of money for, you know, the Zuckerbergs of this world. And, and they can just... Probably less a than Zuckerberg a day's profit for Pfizer. Yeah, Probably or for Pfizer. You know, a, a, a kind of woke corporation or um, a woke billionaire can, can drop that money just to quash something and make it disappear, uh, you know, with, with a snap of their fingers. Um, and that's the problem we face because um, you quite often see this happen that, that a kind of grassroots organization that's right wing or that's challenging the, the current establishment, um, a populist movement comes along and, you know, starts generating revenue, starts being successful. And then all of a sudden, it, someone key to it disappears from it. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think it's a great big conspiracy theory to think that money is involved in this or that, you know, you might suddenly find that some of these board members at Project Veritas um, have, have, have got new friends and new influences. Um, and, I mean, uh, you know, it happens repeatedly. Was he not the one who would have originally brought them on the board? Probably. You would think so, is it's he's a founder. I mean, it is a nonprofit, so it's not like he gets to own it, but he was the founder, so he did have a lot of say over it. I mean, I haven't looked at all their I mean, I've looked at all their financials, but I haven't looked at all their corporate records. Um I would think that he has at least some say in in who the board members were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they're you know, at a certain point they're swayed. Um, Daniel, did you have anything parallel to that ever in Britain, to Project Veritas? Um, we haven't had that kind of, um, not from the right, we've not had that kind of direct activi activism from the right. We've had um, kind of independent uh, alternate media setups, 
Um, there was a guy who did a, a, a quite successful, that's still going, uh, online newspaper that's much more populist uh, called Politicalite. Um, and, and that's been quite successful. Um, but uh, we had spiked the online um, magazine as well, a political uh, commentary magazine um, with uh, Brendan O'Neill. Uh, and that was an odd one because they said that they were they declared themselves as Marxists, but they were uh, supporting many things that right wing people support. They were very strong supporters of um, Brexit. But all of a sudden they changed their editorial line. Um, Brendan O'Neill stepped down as editor. And, um, you know, there's lots of people who think that something suspicious went on with funding there because all of a sudden they were they started publishing uh, very pro uh, Ukrainian intervention articles and uh, lots of stuff that went against things they've been saying previously. You know, Daniel, you're bringing to mind Drudge. Mm. What happened to him? And, you know, is that part of the same kind of, I don't know, sway or, or however you want to call it? I don't know. Some of them may just follow the money and go where they think they can get it. But, uh, you know, I think Veritas and, you know, Beef is a different animal. And I don't think there's anybody out there anywhere that does what he he does. And, you know, a lot of people in that organization, man, they have guts doing what they're doing because they're they're all potentially targets. Um, so I see it as pretty unique. No, I think it was definitely it was unique. I'm curious if other people have tried it elsewhere, but I wonder, is that part of we'll let you go for a certain amount of time, but sooner or later we'll co-op you or crush you? And I mean, does anybody ever know what happened to Drudge? No. Why he, I thought he was, uh, wasn't he bought off? I thought that they bought out his company. I don't know. But that was pretty swift turnabout, wasn't it, Drudge? Yeah. So pretty weird. We had a guy in the, in the UK, and I think he was a, a mainstream journalist, but I dimly recall that he used to specialise in getting people to say, from organisations to say incriminating things. Um, and he'd go in dressed up as a, like a shake or something like that, as, as a kind of, uh, you know, very rich uh, Arab. And he'd go in and he'd get this kind of spoof, uh, um, you know, uh, dirt on people by going in claiming to have a lot of money that he was willing to invest. Um, uh, I remember that occurring. If you, and that's quite similar to some of the things, the stings that Project Veritas have done. Mm -hmm. Which many, many years ago, I think the mainstream press used to try. Hmm. Okay, Ed, what's the main story for you besides Ukraine? Hands down, Project Veritas story is the big story of the week for me. I mean, taking down, I mean, that takedown, I think, is, is well, I don't want to make it bigger than it is, but uh, it happened so fast and it's just, it makes so little sense on the surface. So it, it almost begs for a conspiracy theory answer. But can it be argued that they haven't taken him down? In other words, they haven't. Well, I don't think that they've. I don't think him. they've beaten him. I mean, I think he's just going to start Project Truth or Project something else. 
Right. And so I'm saying if they wanted to take him down, they could have really taken him down rather than just let him hang. So I kind of wonder about that. Well, what do you mean? I mean, what, what what could they have done that they didn't do? Well, I mentioned there's the, you know, shooting yourself in the back of the head if you want to go very far um, or whatever else. But he's still free to start something else. They haven't totally besmirched him yet. So, yeah, they took away his organization, but he's by no means out of the picture. And I'm wondering, will they let him, you know, restart something? Because he's, he's a loose cannon out there right now, and he's a pretty dangerous guy. And I mean that in all the good ways. Yeah. Um, you know, when I said earlier that I'd like to see Merrick Garland's phone records, you know, I, to be explicit, I think that there might have been a threat from DOJ to the board members and maybe even directly at James. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, you know, it's all conspiracy theory, but, you know, maybe they thought that they could intimidate him. And he said, I'm not playing ball. The, the alleged real reason you know the the reason that the board have given is is pretty ridiculous isn't it because uh it's kind of vague intimations of bullying and um you know unprofessional conduct essentially um but well they also like financial improprieties but but one of the things they mentioned one of the things they mentioned was that he'd stolen a sandwich you know, which yeah, is like, if lady. you're reduced to saying that someone stole a sandwich, you, you're sort of pretty desperately grasping for things to bring against them, aren't you? Absolutely. Like, I mean, that's, like I said, it almost cries out for a conspiracy theory. I mean, yeah. the things that they're telling us just do not make any sense. So you, know, guess- you don't fire, you don't fire a guy for that. I mean, you know, when we were off air, I, you know, I went through some of the financial numbers for you. In, in the last five years, uh, James O'Keefe has more than five, made more than five times the, the revenue for, for Project Veritas on an annual basis. Right. He's succeeding. He's doing well. He's bringing in tons and tons of money. He's got big stories like the Pfizer story. There's no reason to take him down. I mean, even if he even if just for the sake of argument, he had done some things wrong. You, you, you wag your finger at him and you hit him with a wet noodle and you tell him you can't do that anymore. You don't just to clarify, it's not a guy they're taking down. He is Project Veritas. So, right. you know, you, it's like firing Disney from Walt Disney. This is like a big deal. So, all right. To move on to another story, which is another Ed M story, the creation of a Eurozone-wide digital currency is to be discussed at a secretive meeting of EU bankers this week. Surprise, surprise. I mean, they're not talking about it. I mean, that that this is already a foregone conclusion. They've already made that decision. The only thing they're talking about is when do we spring it? What's our excuse? What what kind of crisis do we create in order to justify it? I mean, the rest is kabuki theater to me. I mean, they've made up their mind. This is what they want. They're, you know, they're trying, you know, Daniel had a great post about uh, how, you know, they ask us what we want. We tell them what we want and they say, no, but you're going to get what we give you. And, and that's what's going on right now. They want to totally control us. And a digital currency is a means for them to control everything that we do and to surveil everything that we do. So now, their story is just European. Is this tied to the, the globalists and the Chinese, et cetera? I mean, is everybody working together? 
Um, I bet that they are, but even if they aren't, there's, you know, some conspiracies just work by nature, by nature. And I, they, they're all shooting for the same thing, whether they're coordinating or not. Um, China already is well along, well down the path of having a digital currency. Um, and I, I, and the Fed has already been experimenting with some local banks about it. Um, they're all, they're, they're all going down that path. They all want that power. And, you know, for anyone listening to me, you know, I don't believe in death. I don't believe we should be trying to die for ourselves, but if there's a hill to die on, it's this one. This is the fight that we have to have because if we lose, if we, if we lose the ability to transact in cash and to transact outside the, the purview of the government, we lose every right of privacy we've ever had. And this is a battle that we have to fight. Right. It's game over. Daniel, you guys still technically part of Eurozone or does that include Britain? Um, out? We're, we're, we're technically supposed to be uh, independent of the EU now, but we um, have radical alignment with the EU, meaning that we're refusing to take the opportunity of diverting our laws and our regulations from EU ones um, in several areas. Um, and we are still paying towards the EU. So at the moment, we, we've basically managed to negotiate having half the responsibilities of membership and none of the advantages. Now, you guys always stayed out of the euro. Yes, thankfully. So would that make it harder um, for them to get rid of your currency or it wouldn't matter? Well, it's funny because all of these places are doing this separately. And, and like Ed says, it doesn't really matter if they're, uh, they have the same aim and that the aim is total control of everything for every individual. Um, and, you know, control their finances completely by a central bank digital currency. Uh, well, uh, I believe the, the British government have already advertised posts, you know, bureaucratic posts that would administrate this. Um, and the, the Bank of England was putting out um, uh, internal reports on the feasibility of a central bank digital currency years ago. So, um, the, you know, they've been planning it for a long time and they're all determined on it. and what we're likely to see is a late stage consultation where regardless of what the people say, a bit like my post, um, they'll go ahead with it anyway. You know, that they all want this and they want this because it's greater control over us. Um, but we do vote these people in. We do, but in many cases, there's no alternative because both main parties, if you've got a two-party system and both right. main parties support these policies, where do you go? Well, we're voting them in, if nothing else, here in the primaries. We're, we're still allowing, the voters still would have control if they really gave a crap or understood what was going on, and they don't. We just lost in Virginia. It's not here, Ed P., believe we lost a special election for Congress in Virginia. Anybody hear about that? No, which which district? I'm not sure, but I, I there was a special election and I think I saw a headline that we lost it. So 
The point is, either because the voters are dumb or because they're kept dumb or because they don't care, we still could turn a country around by voting differently in primaries. We don't have enough educated, caring electorate to do so. So when we blame it on them, we have a right every two years in this country to change them. So... I think that's the, you know, the people get the government they deserve argument, isn't it? That's what I'm saying. Fourth district, Virginia's fourth, wherever that is. I have no idea. You know where that is, Ed? I don't. Um, First black woman to represent Virginia in Congress. That's important. And uh, blue-leaning fourth district. I have no idea where it is. But I'm, I'm just saying... And I see people saying, you know, the government's going to do what it's going to do, but we do vote. And look what happened in the last election. You know, we barely squeaked by with the House. We didn't win the Senate in America. And we just don't care enough. Kind of gets back to what I said about Ukraine. We don't care. Is it that the voters don't care or is it that we don't have enough, we don't have voter uh, election integrity? Um, I think it's that. I think it's the fact that the party crushes real opposition in the primaries. But over, if we overwhelmingly voted for good people, we would get people, good people. We just don't have enough people that care. You know, voter fraud is good for 5%, 10%. It's not for 80%. But you can't get people to vote in a primary. I don't know what the voting in primary is, 10%, 20%, whatever. It's very low. And we don't take the opportunities we have so we really don't have a lot of right to complain. I think that there's there's a great deal of political apathy, and mm. the the you know the establishment don't mind political apathy from the people because oh, no. uh, it serves their interests. No, that is what they want. They thrive on it. You know what? Maybe maybe I maybe it's just the circles that I travel in, but. I don't see a lot of apathy. I see a lot of really motivated people that want to change things. And that leads me to believe that the issue is not apathy as much as it is integrity of our elections. Well, I think it is because you you travel in an activist circle, but the people very interested in politics and willing to fight for it, what are we, 5% of the population, 10% of the population? Well, there may be a difference between apathy and frustration that you can't get done the things you want to get done. The things that you want to see happen don't happen. Or when you see a a political party that's supposed to fight for you and they don't. (laughs) You know, how much did Fetterman win by? And again, we lost that election when Trump supported Oz probably, but Mm -hmm. again. Isn't that a great situation for us though? I mean, why complain about it? If he's in the hospital, he can't vote. First of all, how do you know that? How can he vote from a hospital bed? I don't know. They'll just say proxy voting or they'll say you can phone it in. What's to stop them? I mean, the House had proxy voting under Pelosi, but I don't think that the Senate has it. No, I don't think they do. But what would stop them if they really wanted to? So how long before they replace him is the question. Yeah, but they would be upset if he's not voting. Does Pennsylvania law say that the governor appoints or that they have a special election? I'm not sure. I don't know that answer. Yeah, we need a Pennsylvania correspondent. You know, are you guys following the judicial reform business in Israel? A little bit. I mean, so, you know, 
basically mid 90s, the judiciary took all the power for itself. This gentleman, Mr. Rotman, who's the head of the, one of the committees is trying to reverse that. And the left is going insane beyond anything. I mean, demonstrations, tens, hundreds of thousands of people blocking people from getting out of their houses. They blocked a member of the parliament the other day who couldn't get her special needs child out, of, out the door. Um, to stopping traffic. The left, is for the left is for dictatorship, whether it's, it's through the judicial oligarchs or through an outright take uh, takeover of the legislature. But their panic and their behavior is so off the charts that there's literally videos of them jumping on tables in parliament committee meetings. This total well, of course, because the judicial dictatorship is it allows them the the to pretend that it's a, a democratic country when it's not. And, you know, it's it's cognitive dissonance for them. They're forced to confront the fact that they're the ones who are for dictatorship and they don't they don't want to confront that. So I think it speaks a little bit to what we're talking about here in the sense that the Israelis. You can make a strong argument voted for this change in a very recent election, the fifth election in like four years or whatever, and still they're yelling it's anti-democratic. There's even talk in Israel, and I'm not sure how, what it means of the entire opposition resigning from the Knesset. And I think they would do that to stop anything from happening. But the point being that even when you win the election, you lose. And is that part of what plays into the apathy? Because they will stop at nothing. I think that's what Mike Absolutely, that definitely feeds the apathy. And that's that's it, I think, you know, to argue with myself. Because right, I mean, that's what, that's what Daniel has been talking about with Brexit for you know, for months, mm -hmm. you know, you know, as, since the first time he came on the show, the people voted for it. They won't give it to him. The people voted again. They won't give it to him. I mean, I you, mean have, you have people in Israel, you have like ex prime ministers, ex heads of the military going out demonstrating. They have people, leaders of the government in the past calling for civil war, calling for live fire. Call, I mean, they're they literally have no boundary, kind of like the J6ers here, to what they will do to crush opposition. I think that should tell you something. Yeah, it does tell me something. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we want to get into MTG, but everybody knows where I stand on MTG's call for national divorce. It's interesting that it's like the second time she's done so and she's getting requisite flack for it. But it's interesting that she's doing so. I think the flak just shows that she's over the target. She's striking a nerve. They're scared of that. Because I, I just, like I've said before, I don't know how you turn the ship of the country anymore. Like you say, the Republicans don't give a hoot. For sure not McConnell. He's probably the biggest Plus, enemy of Republicans represents in the country. Men named Mike. Apparently. Got an echo or somebody's computer. Yep. That okay. might have been, go ahead. Apparently I've convinced you of everything I said, so. That was you, Mike, wasn't it? That was you. Oh, Mike, Mike's a good man. <laughs> Mike's a good man. <laughs> oh, he was probably dealing with chat GPT or something and they were talking back. 
He's, he's simultaneously on another podcast. That's what it is. That's right. <laughs> Good for him, man. As long as it's another Liberty Block podcast. I am. I am on the liberal. I'm on the liberal exchange. You guys. <laughs> Maybe we could get ChatGBT to run another podcast for us and say, "Tell us what Daniel Jump would have said." <laughs> I got to try that after the show. Speak in Daniel Jump style. Yeah, I, nobody can match my style. Mm-hmm. You have to have a <laughs> yeah, you, need, you need a spot a spot of tea first. I'm I'm not I'm not worried about Chat GDP because um, you know uh, I've I've never seen it combine vulgarity and um, politics the way I do. So I don't think it, I don't think the machine can handle that yet. It can only sound it can only sound like gender studies graduates. So you really, if you ask it to be vulgar, it doesn't have the capability yet. Well, I've not seen it do it, not not in combination. Because uh-huh. what it effectively does is that it it's um it's almost like cut and paste, isn't it? It just gathers examples of the kind of discussion you're asking it for and then slots them together. Um, and not many people who sound like me get published. So <laughs> I, I don't know. We, yeah. we have some people remotely affiliated with Liberty Block who can uh, spin words in quite creative ways, and I won't mention names. All right. So no audio book? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. some people have a way with words. Okay, so let's get to what we didn't get to that we wanted to get to, if anything, because there's so many stories out there. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to bring up this Angela Redding story because I'm almost sorry Tucker had it at the bitter end of one of his recent shows. Yeah, fill, fill us in. Angela Redding is a parent who is from New Jersey who went to speak out at a board of ed meeting. Uh, it was probably about sex ed, all the other crazy curriculum that's being shoved down our kids' throats. And apparently when she she did that, there was one person in the army, I believe at Fort Dix, who went after her and tried to cancel her. Now, when she came back on Tucker recently, she said that she did Oprah requests, public record requests in New Jersey, and literally found that there were, I believe, 16 people in the military that were trying to silence and cancel her. And... Like I said, I think this is a, a a huge, huge story. You're talking about people in our our military coming after a private citizen who wanted to speak out about the, the craziness that's going on in schools. I mean, you want to talk about descending into a totalitarian state? That's scary crap right there. Now, what did they do about her? What did they do to try to crush her? One thing they did was notify Department of Homeland Security about her. I mean, I have to look up some of the other things that she brought up, but that was one of them, I believe. I mean, are you kidding me? Trying to make her out to be a terrorist? And what was the military's involvement? I mean, they didn't threaten to kill her, right? What did the military? No, no, they didn't do that. They they basically, like I just said, they they I believe informed Homeland Security, and they took other steps of. Uh, to attack her, but I, you know, without having all those facts in front of me, I don't want to say, but I'm pretty confident one of them um, was in fact the Homeland Security. Because I happen to agree with you. I think it's a 
gargantuan story that the fact that so much power can be used against so few people, um, just like, you know, calling all parents terrorists, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is well beyond anything that I've seen any other parent have to deal with or, you know, be a attacked. I mean, we've seen law enforcement throw people out and say they can't be there and be banned, but to have 16 members of the, of, of the army going after this woman? Are you kidding? Yeah. I agree. Ed, are you following that story? A little bit, yes. I mean, I see it, I've seen it on Tucker, and Mike and I have talked about it. So she's a board member. She's a board of ed member. No, I don't think she's I don't think she's a board of ed member. I think she's just a concerned parent. Here's what they're saying that um, it might have been activists, on the board. Activists are calling for a New Jersey school board member to resign after she voiced opposition to a poster she said was inappropriate for children, criticized gender and sexual identity curriculum at large. So mm -hmm. apparently she's a, a school board member. Which, mm -hmm. if I'm not well, mistaken, concerned parent is just a far right term for domestic terrorist, isn't it? I was about to say. <laughs> And by the way, I think we had a Board of Ed member on the show with us last week, co-hosting, did we not? Tiana. And this could happen to her as well. This is the power brought to bear. Well, it shows it can happen to any of us. Mm -hmm. And I, mean, I, I got to tell you, you, you hear so many of these stories where parents <coughs> are not allowed to read at a Board of Ed meeting stuff that's available to children and your head literally spins this is stuff that if anybody else read to a child, they'd be jailed for child abuse and pedophilia. And yet it's perfectly normal. And again, it's all so backwards and we're powerless to fight it. Well, I've got um, <coughs> uh, somewhat similar story from the UK at the moment, um, which is that it's emerged... Um, in, in the UK, we had what was called the prevent strategy. And this was supposed to be um, following up on reports of people who might be extremists um, after uh, terrorist incidents like the Manchester Arena bombing. Now, the, you know, the main cause of uh, terrorism in the UK has been um, Islamic terrorism. Um, but it seems that uh, as part of the prevent strategy, they drew up a list of um, books and materials and uh, films and TV shows that supposedly indicated someone might be a um, extremist who could become a terrorist. And the, obviously the people drawing up this list were rather like Twitter employees of the past because they uh, identified things that, that ordinary conservatives might enjoy um and and quite ludicrous things as well one of the things they identified as potentially marking you out as a future terrorist was uh, a show called great british trail railway journeys um which followed a kind of mainstream british politician michael portillo uh, ex-politician going around on on pleasant railway journeys um and Yes Minister, the satirical show from the 1980s, that was on the list as well. Um, so our prevent strategy was identifying ordinary people who liked um, mainstream shows 
as potential terrorists, whilst at the same time we've recently had uh, our national broadcaster, the BBC, providing a sympathetic platform for ex-Jihadi bride Shamima Begum, who um, was given a, a podcast on the BBC. Um, and, um, you know, our newscaster that she's re just had a, uh, um, an appeal to be allowed back into the country turned down again. And uh, our national broadcaster was in mourning over that. You know, they, they've pushed the line that this uh, girl who fled deliberately the UK to join ISIS at its height, married an ISIS fighter, um, probably participated in uh, torture or murder whilst, because it was common for the jihadi prides to do so, whilst out there, um, although I've got no firm evidence of that, it was uh, reported from, you know, survivors that the jihadi brides took part in these events. Um, she was given a platform, while at the same time our prevent strategy was taking completely innocuous, harmless things and putting them on a list of stuff that's extremist. Okay. Ed? I have two, two items that I think we should at least pass on before signing off. One is the, um, the children's book author Roald Dahl. His books are being rewritten uh, to take out, quote, offensive language. Would you mind filling me in? Because I'm not following the story. I've seen a million headlines. Who is he and what are they talking about? He's just a children's book author and they're rewriting his book to take out to they're rewriting it according to the woke language and taking out things like, uh, you know, like fat cats is just going to be cats uh, or uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other examples. Uh, I don't have the examples off the top of my head, honestly. Is but he just, big and famous? I mean, how popular is he? Very I mean, famous in the UK. Okay. Um, sort of, you know, through my childhood, the, probably the most successful children's writer. Um, lots of his, uh, James and the Giant Peach has been a movie. Uh, BFG uh, has been a movie. They're both Roald Dahl stories. Mm. Wait, is he contemporary? Uh, he's, so. he's deceased now. Um so but is isn't he pretty recent, though? Um, writing 70s and 80s, mainly. So not as far back as no, trying to rewrite Huck Finn and stuff. Correct. No, right. no, no. He, he, he's a, a modern writer, but um, he's but um, his granddaughter is the model Sophie Doll. I don't know if you know her. It's intellectual theft. It's destruction of something that these people couldn't create themselves, could never equal. It's, it's just about destroying something that's good and wholesome because right. they don't like it and they want to make it in their image, which, right. well, which is not wholesome. Nothing says artistic expression like telling people what they can and can't say in their works. 
Now, who is actually yeah. trying to rewrite it? Like, does somebody own the They're work? They're trying. They're, They're actually doing it. Penguin, uh, I, mean, uh, I think, uh, are doing it. I, I think the um, the estate, I believe, sold the rights the, uh, uh, for the books, the copyright, and um, uh, it's whoever owns that now. Mm -hmm. But the, the publishers, are, I think, that have uh, gone ahead with changing things are, are Penguin. Mm -hmm. um, the French publishers have said that they won't be making any changes. Okay, so this got oh, translated into other languages. Yeah. Wow. And does anybody read these books in America? Yeah, I've got friends. Who, I mean, that was how I was alerted to the story. Friends, uh, a friend with uh, young kids pointed it out to me. Okay. All right, because I had actually never heard of him. Yeah, it's... Oh. Well. You know it's a slippery slope because once they they go there, there's a lot of other books to cleanse. Oh my! He wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the Chocolate. Oh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's wrote. Yeah. Uh... Wow. Well, the you other story about uh, a, huh? a, a book that's politically incorrect all the way around, pretty much, right? It's it's very disparaging towards Oompa Loompas, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The wow. other story that I don't, I, I don't want to let the week go by without us addressing is East Palestine, what they're doing, and, and specifically Biden's decision to visit Poland, uh, visit Ukraine, I'm sorry, visit Ukraine and give more money to Ukraine before he visits Ohio, before he visits East Palestine, and before he promises any FEMA or any other relief to, yeah. to American citizens whose lives are in peril from this eco ecological disaster. And these, I can't say, I mean, these a-holes are constantly in our face about, you know, cow farts are a reason why we can't have meat, you know, or, you know, some other ridiculous reason why we can't have, you know, what, you know, gas stoves are a threat to the environment. But these morons, See, they're not morons. They did it on purpose. They set fire to these chemicals. And then the chemicals seep into the soil and the water and the and the and the air, and people are are hurt. And there's no there's no help from the federal government. There's no acknowledgement that maybe they shouldn't have done, they shouldn't have set the fires that they set. No, Biden is is heading across the world and, and taking American tax dollars and giving it to foreigners instead of giving it to uh, American citizens. Now you, you can say that we shouldn't be giving financial aid to anybody, and that's a pl plausible libertarian argument, but by golly, how can we give to foreigners and not give to Americans? I mean, except we've got a treasonous, insurrectionist administration in charge, and I, to, to, to let the week go by without saying something about it, I, I just was not going to let that go by. I mean, what, what's, the disaster in East Palestine is just outrageous and unbelievable right and adding to it the fact that it's a republican area um apparently mr Buttigieg says something about he's going on personal leave or something there's some ridiculous statement like that um i'm going to channel ed maslish from that wonderful podcast we mentioned before this is so in your face it's unbelievable literally to go well, to ukraine and poland and ignore that is so in your face it's i'm glad to see power. that final huh 
it's a show of power of we do not care about you. Well, you know, I, I criticized Trump, I think, last week about this. And uh, I mean, if I didn't do it on this show, I've done it privately. Finally, he showed up today with bottles of water and, and some other supplies for these people. Good for him. It's about time. These are your people, Mr. Trump. You know, you're trying to show that you can be a leader. And, and I don't mean that to, to tear him down when he's doing a good thing. That is a good thing. It, I mean, it should have been two weeks ago, but God bless him. Thank, I'm glad he's doing it. You know, why isn't FEMA bringing water to these people? And and it's not, I mean, it's not just drinking water. I mean, how are these people supposed to bathe? How are they supposed to wash their clothes? Well, I don't think how are they supposed to brush their teeth. Excuse me, rednecks and Republicans don't bathe or brush their teeth. They're just deplorable Walmart shoppers. So okay. Well, if that's their mentality, then I'm standing up and saying, God damn them. I I 150% agree with you. I mean. <laughs> But like I say, this is so in your face. We're going to give 500 billion or million more dollars to Ukraine and not a penny to Ohio. Um, and you know what makes it so in your face, Stephen? You know what makes it possible to be so in your face? You've got a goddamn corrupt Republican governor who agrees with them and is telling them, oh, I can drink the water too. And there's no real problem. You don't have a Republican. I mean, if you had DeSantis or, you know, if Trump were governor of Ohio, he they would not be silent about what's going on. They would be standing up and speaking out. But this a-hole is, is totally on board with Biden's treason. He doesn't mean, have that's a the, damn that's word the media as well, it. isn't it? The, the, the media, again, uh, have uh, been utterly disgraceful. You guys right. remember something, right? Just like the left wing. Same kind of ecological disaster. They have nothing to say about it. I'm sorry, yeah, Steve. It's, it's, it's like Three Mile Island. Right, and it's like the Love Canal in Buffalo. They yeah. went nuts over that one. Um, some of the other ones that they've gone absolutely berserk. And this one, the best they can do is blame it somehow on Trump and literally ignore it. Like you say, where is yeah. the care for environment that if this were under Trump, he would have There's been impeached a third time? Nothing to be politically gained. And again, so in your face. And like you're 100 right, but Dewine was always a rhino, right? Yes, isn't it's a that rhino in the Senate? Isn't that the rhino in the presumption? House. <laughs> That's the presumption for most of them. <laughs> but I think he was out there a lot. If I know he's a rhino, I think he was pretty bad. And again, like I say, they win before the primaries when they set up who gets to run in the primaries, and by the time we vote, nothing much matters. So, but I'm glad you brought that up, Ed, because it's absolutely outrageous. And by the way, I I don't listen to the media that much, but has there been a lot of talk of, you know, Red Cross or private groups or contribute to them and all this usual, you know, Americans will do so much for people. I haven't heard big stuff about that either. It's almost like just let them rot. Yeah, it's like. Only Tucker, right? It's like seems like I'm wondering if we started a GoFundMe. If we start a GoFundMe, would they take it down? They'd take it down, absolutely. They probably would. <laughs> Talk about evil. Yeah, we're we're in big trouble. But, I mean, again, you know, uh, you know, Trump did the right thing today, but I mean, he could do a whole lot more. The guy is a multi-billionaire. He bragged about donating his four hundred thousand dollars salary four times. That's one point six million dollars. How many how many bottles of water? How many environmental uh, assessment tests could be done for for one point six million dollars? I mean, 
he's running for president. He's running to be our leader. Can he spend some money to show that he cares about people instead of just doing photo ops? But, you know, DeSantis hasn't said a word about it. So it's not like he's doing any better. But he's not running yet. So what's he going to do? Rip another uh, Republican governor? Maybe. I would hope he would. You know, Chris Sununu has no problem ripping him. Yep. But you got to give DeSantis credit. It's, it's every single day that he is tirelessly fighting back in the culture war. And I don't agree with him on what he's saying about law enforcement, but his fight against the culture war is unrelenting right now. Every day there's another story. Something else is coming out against, you know, here's where woke comes to die. But he's putting all of his power behind it. And you got to give him a lot of credit for that. And since I, I, I think that both of them, though, that, that it's like they've got they've each got half the battle, DeSantis and and Trump, that they, they kind of each understand half of the battle that's needed, and and you'll only get the full battle fought if they they work together. I think. Well, I'm not as I'm not as pro Trumper as anti DeSantis yet. I, I I don't like Trump out there saying in my next term I'm going to do A, B, and C with the obvious rejoinder being, uh, dude, what did you do in your first term? And why would this be different? And until he has a really good answer for that, I don't care what you're going to do in your second term. What, you know, Why didn't you do it in your first term? Well, because uh, at least 80% of the administration was probably controlled by the deep state. Right. And that's not going to be any different than the next one, because if he if he didn't figure it out in the first two years and fire people, he's not going to do it again. He'll bring in more, you know, isn't the FBI director his guy? And all the everybody was his guy. He brought in all the top people and everything, even uh, Mr. Bill Barr. And let's not even ask, you know, what we should do we should have a 30 second piece on every one of these podcasts just devoted to where is the Durham report? With that, let's close for the week. Then a wonderful show as always. Please send feedback to the conservatarian exchange at libertyblock.com. We will see you all next week. I believe same time, same, same day, Wednesday, four o'clock. Have a wonderful evening.